morning. I love it when uh, our pastoral staff, as demonstrated by Josh this morning, Pastor Josh is so um, concerned for um, a member of our family that's grieving and hurting that uh, he just loses track of everything else. That's a good thing. But in that, we've got a bunch of kids who are waiting for their ministry time, and so they're going to go this way. Um, And you know what, Josh? That's one time when it's okay to forget because you were so involved. Uh, Your heart for the Pearson family was evident. Um, Just want to let you, church family, know that uh, a service in in honor um, of Rosalie Pearson and to support... uh, her husband and children, Kelvin, Mariah, Kyle, will be here on Saturday, this Saturday, the 12th, at 1 p.m. And so let's come to, uh, to honor this beautiful uh, uh, wife and uh, mother um, and to support this family. I'd encourage you this morning to take your Bible and uh, turn to the Gospel of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, so a little bit more than halfway through your Bible you'll find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. And I'm also going to read this passage uh, in two other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, because they uh, expand. They give a few more details than John does, but John gives some details they don't. So I'm going to read it three times for you today. It's good just to listen to God speaking to us. It really is. And so we have called uh, this series in the Gospel of John Backstage Pass. Um, When you get a backstage pass, you go to a concert, it's sort of a special ticket which allows you to see just a bit of the inner workings of how things operate behind the scenes. And that's what John, really all of Scripture, but John is so good at just giving us the the behind-the-scenes look at who is this Jesus? Um, What's his life about? What's his ministry about? How do we fit into that? Uh, not only for our encouragement, challenge, and growth, but first and foremost so that the good news of Jesus can be heard. This is all to point people to him. And so that's what we want to do this morning. So let's get into that. uh, John chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. John writes, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I'm going to read it uh, again in, in Matthew chapter 14. The text will also be on the screen there in front of you. If you have your Bible, feel free to follow along again. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Remember, he had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and so he dismissed this crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I want to read it one more time, this time in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. When he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth wash, watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennaret and anchored there. Let's take a moment to pray and just allow this to settle into our minds and our hearts. Lord, I thank you for these, uh, this, your word. And as we unpack this a little bit this morning, may you teach us, God, May we hear today your voice, not mine, as you, by your word and your Holy Spirit, apply this word to our lives um, to help us on this walk, this journey with you. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, 16 years ago this spring, I, uh, in May of 2000, I packed up all of my belongings and packed up my family with that, <laughs> and we moved to British Columbia from Saskatchewan. A few provinces away, we left a small community, a town of about 250 people, the surrounding area, maybe five, 600 people, and we moved to Richmond, BC. <laughs> yep. Um, I'd only been to the coast once before in my sheltered life. Um, been just into BC to some of the hot springs as a child, but I had never been to the coast until 1995 when my brother and I made the trip all the way to Seattle where we went in, into the Promise Keepers Conference at the Kingdom. But that trip was at night and we basically drove into Vancouver and then through to Vancouver down 99 into Washington. And I really didn't see much. So this time, uh, you know, we're coming down, and it's evening, it's getting dark as we're making our way into the lower mainland, and, you know, maps are nice. I had studied the map. I think it, I would, didn't even have a GPS, but, you know, we're in, a, like, a moving truck, so there's no GPS in there anyway, and, you know, before the time of smartphones and Google Maps and all that stuff, and so I relied on road signs. Like, I still do. Like, um, how many of you, when you travel on holiday or you're going somewhere, you kind of count on those signs? 
Okay, you're with me. Good. That's good. I'm not the only one. Nice. So, Highway 1, I knew I was supposed to go to Highway 10 to 99 to Steveston Highway into Richmond. And then from there we could find our way to our new rented home. And so uh, when we got to Highway 10, though, it was a little tricky because all of a sudden there's 232 Street, and then there's Glover Road, and then there's the Langley Bypass. And I'm like, um, I'm looking for the signs, and I finally found one that was about this big that said 10, and I thought, can that be it? This is not a highway, right? This isn't a highway. So we turned, thinking, well, they put that sign there for a reason, so, okay, carry on, all of a sudden, whoa, signs for the 99 as we see the 10, 10 along the way, and finally we made our way into Richmond and we got there just fine, unlike Marcy's uh, family who came a couple of months later to visit, they were staying at our place, and we told them the same thing, Highway 1, Highway 10, 99, Richmond, Steveston Highway. Well, they saw 99A thinking, surely, well, this is 99, that's great. So they took the signs for 99A and ended up at midnight on Kingsway in Vancouver and uh, about two in the morning rolled into our place, very frustrated, very tired. My point is this. We have yet another miracle in the Gospel of John that is a sign. This is number five out of seven miracles in John, most of which revolve around the theme of water. It's a sign that points us to Jesus. It's a sign that will reveal who he is so that he can be better understood. It is a sign that will help us in our journey with Jesus to arrive at the right place. But aside from the miracle and the sign that it is for us, we have to remember that this miracle, the context, is in the context of discipleship. Now, to be a disciple means to be a learner, a student, or a follower. A disciple of Jesus, to be his student, his follower, uh, a learner of him, Christian discipleship is often referred to as the Christian walk. And sometimes that walk is on land, sometimes it's on water, but it means going wherever Jesus uh, will lead us, take us, or even command us. So we can't forget that this miracle occurred in the context of of discipleship because these brand new followers of Jesus, he called them to follow me. They, They didn't fully understand yet who he really was. They were getting a pretty good idea by now. Um... And so Jesus gave them, and only them, another sign to help them on this journey. I'm not here this morning to debate the miracle. I believe it happened. It's recorded in history. I think the Bible's trustworthy. My purpose is to point us to the miracle maker. And and it's for our benefit that we might learn to walk with him more closely. So there's two things this morning that I want us, I want to point out this morning from this text that I believe are important for our discipleship, our walk with Jesus. No matter where we are on the journey, some of us here this morning have walked with Jesus for years, very closely. Uh, Some are just beginning the journey. Some are just being introduced to Jesus. Maybe you're being introduced to this Jesus for the first time this morning, and that's awesome. Wherever you are this morning, There is something for you, for me. So let's dive right in. The first thing that we need to understand today is that walking with Jesus is the most dangerous thing we can do. 
(laughs) You were expecting a nice sermon. Walking with Jesus is the most dangerous thing we can do. Um, This past week, um, all of the pastoral staff, the six of us together with two lead team members, Ernie Charlton and uh, Eddie Melholm, uh, went to Vancouver to a conference called Multiply 2016. Fantastic experience. Fantastic. The basic point of this conference was how do we as Christian leaders, as churches, see the multiplication of disciples, more and more followers of Jesus, expand rapidly and intentionally from sea to sea in our nation. The fields are white unto harvest. And how do we better equip ourselves to make disciples, to multiply believers and churches across our great land? And so one of, they had many, a fantastic uh, lineup of speakers for this thing, but the, the one that I want to spend a little time quoting this morning was Francis Chan, who we heard him twice. He talked, you know, at this conference we talked to and we, we prayed, we asked for God to uh, really blow a fresh wind of his spirit through our nation that people would come to know him, revival if you want to call it. And then Francis Chan gets up and he says, you know what? This is all good, but we're never in Scripture promised revival. Like, it's a good thing. We want the dry bones to come alive. That's, what, that's why God sent his son Jesus. It's our aim and our goal is to see God move and people come to know him. But he said, we're not promised that. He said, you know what we are promised in Scripture? You know what I see biblically? There's disciples. We are promised suffering. We are promised persecution. We're promised hardship. That's what we are to prepare for. Not for an easy life. Um, Forget this business about wealth and health and safety. Jesus, by ordering his disciples into that boat that day, was preparing them. He was preparing them for the book of Acts. Acts, yes, was about the rapid expansion, explosion, multiplication of the church, but it was not a downhill journey. And at the same time that he was preparing them, he was revealing to them some very, very significant things about who he was. So, just stay with me, okay? Like, put the phone on hold. We're, we're getting there, right? We're going to get to this awesome revelation of who Jesus is stuff, but just don't hang up. We need to talk first about the storm. We really do. Where do we get the notion uh, that the Christian life is a trouble-free one? You see, if Jesus, earthly life, he's the very revelation of God himself, God the Father sending himself literally in flesh to us so we can understand him and that he might accomplish the work of God the Father. If Jesus' earthly life on ministry began in a stable with... uh, stuff everywhere and and ended and it ended on a cross what makes us think that our walk with God will be pain free struggle free void of boat rides and choppy seas just just say it just a thought Matthew 16 then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone would come after me He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever 
loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? But what can a man give in exchange for his soul? First Peter 4, another disciple who walked with Jesus, Peter. Therefore, he said to the church, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. Francis Chan said to us leaders, he said, hey, you, you can't even stop sinning. You can't defeat even sin in your life without suffering. That's what it takes. Let alone do ministry. First Peter chapter 4 He continues and he concludes kind of this way. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Our sufferings are just momentary in light of eternity, was his point. The Apostle Paul saying the same thing to his young protege, mentoring Timothy. He wrote, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And here's what he told them first, endure hardship. With us, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on a chapter later, he said, In fact, anyone, anyone, Christian leader, Disciple of Jesus, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I could go on and on in James and other Revelation, other parts of Scripture, the New Testament, on and on. Listen, even as Francis Chan uh, urged us on Wednesday and Thursday, as leaders. He urged us this past week, so I pass on the exhortation to you, arm yourselves. Because when you do that, you won't get hurt. You'll stay in the game. Not easy, but you won't get taken out. He said, we quit. We quit. Because we think, I didn't expect this. I mean, who enters a war, said Chan, and says, why are they shooting at me? (laughs) Since Christ suffered in his flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. And then he said, "You you know why churches die? Churches die because it got too tough. And they're not armed for that battle. So the first disciples learned early on, number one, under this dangerous part, that being a disciple is not always smooth sailing. Pun very much intended. I don't know about you, but I could not imagine a more terrifying place to be than where these disciples were. I told you already that I am a prairie boy. I have a healthy fear of water. Very healthy fear for a number of reasons. You see, you know that surf and turf stuff? That belongs on the plate. Uh, More turf, please, than surf. On my plate and in real life, thank you, if you know what I mean. I, I don't know if I'll ever find my sea legs. In fact, I remember the very first time I was on the sea, literally, 
not open, open sea, the, the Strait of Georgia, is that what it's called? Like, it's big enough, okay? And uh, so what happened one time was an elder in our church in Richmond, he phones me up, he said, Eldon, I um, have a boat. Like, I knew that I had a boat. He took his mariner's license, and he tried it for a couple of years. You know, I had a, a, one cabin and a, and a bathroom, and it was not large, but big enough. Right? I had never seen something like this before from the prairies. So he said, I'm selling it. Now, can you come with me today? Because I want to move it from Pier 73, which is right by YVR. There's a hotel there and a restaurant. He says it's moored there. So I want to take it um, down the middle arm of the Fraser River, around Point Grey, UBC, and then to Granville Island, because that's the best place to sell a boat. Okay, let's go. Uh, Sunny day, awesome. A few of us got onto the boat, and uh, we... we, uh, Set, set sail sort of under power down the river, uh, Fraser River, middle arm, and uh, the skies turn black. <laughs> and I, black, and I thought, okay, I'm from the prairies, but I, I think I know what that means. <laughs> All right, I've seen black skies before. Over there we get hail, over here not so much, but I'm going out to the sea. I think that's worse than hail right now. So we're going down the middle arm of the Fraser River and the radio starts chirping like crazy and it's Environment Canada issuing warnings. Please, this is my interpretation, please, 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 all of you morons who are on the river right now, do not go out into the open water because that's very bad. That's what they said. I swear, it's what they said. So the guy I'm with says, ah, what do they know? Let's keep going. (laughs) And we hit the open water. And I have never prayed as much as I have to my life at that point. I kid you not, I was terrified. The waves were much larger than our boat. They were up there. And we couldn't go straight around Point Grey because that would mean this. So we had to go into the waves and then we had to come back and then we had to go into the waves and back and what should have been maybe a 45 minute nice easy like it was hours. And I've never appreciated land so much in my life. (laughs) On the way back from Vancouver that conference um, Eddie Melholm one of our lead team members he told me a story of his experience on Harrison Lake and Eddie just happens to have a boat at the bottom of that lake. So you ask him how terrifying that is. And he told me later that day, after hours of getting home, hiking, logging trucks, you name it, um, he went to a, a, a praise and worship service that evening at church. And he says, I've never praised God so much in my life as I did that night. I wouldn't be kidding myself if I didn't think that a good number of us here this morning right now are terrified by life. Maybe even the majority of us. Are you being buffeted by some strong winds today? Are the waves higher than you can see over? Are you experiencing what St. John of the Cross coined as the dark night of the soul? Um, The disciples were in that boat at the fourth watch of the night when Jesus finally showed up and It was already dark when they got in the boat. See, the sun was setting as they were feeding people all this dinner. 
And then it got dark, and Jesus put his disciples in that boat, and he went to the mountain to pray, and they went out in the dark. And it was pitch black, pitch black, when he finally showed up. Are you this morning feeling alone? Are you straining at the oars? You know, um, sometimes these things in our lives are our own fault because of our own stupidity, the bad choices we make. I mean, let's be honest about that. Um, Sometimes uh, the world we live in, being fallen and sinful, creates a bit of a storm for us, really those pressures. Sometimes Satan creates the storm, but don't automatically assume that or give that too much credit because it's probably less than you think. Sometimes life gets rough because God wants us there to teach us, to develop us, to reveal himself to us which all by itself, his revelation, can be the most terrifying thing of all. When the disciples hanging on for dear life in that boat saw Jesus, his scriptures all say, agree, they were terrified. Their response was actually quite appropriate. You know, if you read Isaiah chapter 6, if you read Daniel 8, if you read Revelation 1, Isaiah, Daniel, John, the revelator, all had the respo- same response. Woe is me, I am ruined. And they fell at his feet as though dead. Listen, the power of God ought to terrify us. Because it is there in the shadow of his holiness, his greatness, his majesty, his absolute power and dominion over everything that he created. It is there that we realize just how small how fearful, how weak, how feeble, and how sinful we are, how done we are. The thing that Scripture reminds us when it comes to salvation is that, we're going to get there later, is that we, as those people, because of our sin, deserve What kind of man is this, the disciples exclaimed, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this? Now, don't get me wrong. Walking with Jesus definitely has its up moments. I mean, life has seasons. Even Job's suffering was not perpetual. So we've already seen in this series that Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, yee-haw. <laughs> that was a good day. All right, um, moving on. The healing, the healing of them, um, yeah. It goes well with a nice steak, you know, the turf stuff, okay? Um, it, it, it pairs quite nicely. Uh, the healing of a man crippled from birth, come on. I mean, I would have loved to be there. Feeding, no, it gets better. The feeding of 5,000 with five loaves and five fish. Like, now we're talking my language. I love food. But there's also the down moments, the rough waters. And you know, sometimes walking with Jesus is like taking a walk on the wild side. But let me ask, let me ask you this this morning. At what points in your life 
Have you learned the greatest lessons? When have you gone deep with Jesus and with his other disciples, the Christian community around you? My guess is that it wasn't when the sun was shining. So what is God teaching you today? Are you learning? Are you pressing in? Because something else, something even more challenging might just come along, and it did for these disciples. If you keep reading in John chapter 6, you know, he said their hearts were hard because they didn't understand, like the, they just, they didn't understand the loaves and the fishes. So after the boat experience, he explained to them, hey, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, you can't be saved. And they're like, What? What, is this, what does this mean? And they said, literally, this is a hard teaching to accept. Verse 60, and aware of this, grumbling about this, Jesus says, well, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them would not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From that time on, from that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus said, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And they wouldn't have learned that if they wouldn't have been in that boat. So if we want to follow Jesus, we need some depth, like the seed that fell in good soil and went deep and produced a good crop. Depth demands are all. Being a disciple of Jesus demands our all. It's uh, first of all not smooth sailing. It demands our all. Jesus, it says, immediately made his disciples get into the boat. Did you catch that? Did you catch it as I read it? He made them. Um, kind of reminds me of Psalm 23. This was actually another teaching, but I had in mind to say it today anyway, this last week. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That's so nice. He makes me, he makes me lie down. Now you have to understand the psalm in order to understand what was going on here. I don't have time to explain it. Wait a minute, he makes me? Um, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What? I, I'm, I grew up on a farm. Like, do you really know what a rod and a staff are used for? I couldn't imagine it felt too good around the neck to have that crook there and being pulled out of a tough place. Ouch. Listen, we're sheep, right? Interpretation, we're a little slow. Maybe even stupid? For sure stubborn um, and naive. Listen, listen. <laughs> we, we don't know what's best for us. We'd, I don't. But God does. So if we want to thrive, let alone survive in ministry and life, absolute obedience, faith, and trust is what is required. We need to be all in. We can't live the Christian life or walk with Jesus or be his disciple without it. It's impossible. And here's the thing that I want you to catch this morning. Our obedience, faith, and trust 
is in him, not in our ability, in our strength, in our power, because we have none. The disciples could not calm that storm. The harder they, they strained at the oars, the worse it got. Jesus was the one who calmed that storm. He has the ability. Amen? <laughs> so the question is this morning, are, are you all in? Am I all in? Are you prepared to trust and obey him to get into the boat? Because the first sign of discipleship is obedience. Jesus said that later. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. The Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Who doesn't, he who does not love me, this is John 14, will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not are my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And you know what? Our mission as a church you know, is based on Matthew 28 where it says, you know, Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them to... Why? Help me. Teaching them to uh, be in the Bible and to uh, get as much knowledge as we can. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So, yes... Doctrine is important. Being in the word of God is important, but it's for our obedience. That's what we're supposed to teach people. Myself first, because, oh, I am not there as much as I should be. Obedience, though, unleashes the power of God in our lives. I have to move on. Our time is really ticking. I want to move through the next five points probably in five minutes, okay? Walking with Jesus, number two, is the safest thing we can do. It's the safest thing. Why? First of all, number one, Jesus is all-knowing. Do you think Jesus commanded those disciples into the boat knowing it would be an easy row to the other side? Absolutely not. He knew that they were in the ride, in for the ride of their lives. He knew it. He knew it. And yet he made them get in the boat. Listen, friend, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know. Um, what transpired in your last week? I want to let you know that in my life, even as we speak, there are some terrifying realities that I'm personally grappling with. The conference was a high. This weekend was rough. Just letting you know. And in the course of this week, that's my own personal life, never mind the conversations and the prayers and the emails and the texts and conversations I've had with people very close to me who are divorcing who are struggling with deep addictions, three of them. People whose kid, teenage kid, ran away from home and they didn't see that child for a couple of days. Terrifying. People whose spouse and mom died. Cancer. People, a couple of them in car accidents. Uh, People with chronic illnesses, one that I know right now very personally, don't know if this is terminal or not. I mean... The list goes on. And I want to let you know this morning that Jesus knows it all. He knows it all. It's comforting. It's rough. But he knows. Secondly, why walking with Jesus is safe is that he knows, but he's in prayer. Um, he made them get on a boat, and then he went up in the mountain to pray. And then it says, he saw them. He saw them. John said he saw them straining at the world. How did he do that? Physically, three and a half miles, four miles maybe, in the middle of a lake with a storm, he's not seeing them. 
But he saw them. How did he see them? He saw them in the spiritual realm. He saw them struggling as he was praying for them. I often wonder about that. What what did Jesus pray about up there? My guess is that it had something to do with 12 grown, 12 terrified men in the middle of a lake. Oh, you go to John 17, Romans 8, Colossians 1, Hebrews 7. It says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with the Spirit of God with groans that words cannot express. And Jesus himself intercedes for us. He's praying for us. His role right now at the right hand of Father where he went back after he died and was raised again is to intercede for us to the Father on our behalf. That's awesome. Jesus knows he's in prayer. Jesus is involved three ways. He meets us. He, he came to them walking on the water. And that water symbolized death. Death, water in, in, in scripture, uh, you know, baptism, when we go under the water, it symbolizes being dead to self and identifying in the death of Jesus and what he accomplished for us. And when we come out of the water, it's new life. Like, I mean, what if the pastor holds you underwater for a long time? Like, that wouldn't be a very good thing, right? Like, what if those disciples had fallen out of that boat? I mean, like, ew. okay, he met them there. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Secondly, under involvement, he speaks to us. He declared to them immediately in their terror, it's I, don't be afraid, take courage. Many times in scripture, Jesus says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Take courage, I'm with you, I'm with you. That's why we need to be in the word because this is God speaking to us just as he spoke to his disciples. Number three, he is with us. It says he climbed in the boat with them and only when he got in the boat with them did the winds die down. I love the way John said that immediately the boat reached the shore as soon as he climbed in. You know, Jesus said to his disciples later in John, it's for your benefit that I go away because if I don't, uh, the helper, the spirit, won't be with you 24-7, but he will be. And he is today. That has huge implications for us, that God is with us. Do you, do you believe that this morning, as a believer in Jesus, that he is with you right now? We don't invite the Holy Spirit here. He is here. Look at him. If the Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives, he's here. That's comforting. Um, number four, Jesus is in control. Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know what? He came walking on the very thing that terrified them the most, He came walking on top of that which represented death. And he's in control of that. Jesus laid down his own life on his own accord that he might have dominion over death at the cross. Amen? And that is what we are going to celebrate as we close this service if I ever stop talking. It's... uh, his body and his blood represented in this cup and is this bread symbolizes the fact that Jesus Christ is control, in control and he came walking on top of the very thing that terrifies us most and that is our sinfulness which leads to death. And he will bring us immediately when we trust him to the other side. This scripture points back to an Old Testament passage where Moses delivering people out of their bondage in Egypt through the Red Sea to the other side, the promised land, it all points to Jesus. And Jesus points us to himself and to our eternal reality when we trust in him. And that's my last point. Jesus saves. Peter said, oh Lord, 
I want to get out of that boat and I want to trust you. And he saw the winds and he was afraid and he started to sink. And what did he do? He said, Lord, save me. And when Jesus reached out his hand, Peter was safe. He was saved. They went back into the boat. They got to the other side. And that's the point of this passage is that Jesus saves. Isaiah 59 verse 1, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. It points to Jesus. Listen, friends, this morning. Scripture teaches us that the just payment for our sin, mine and yours, is death. We cannot do this by ourselves. But when we put our faith, our obedience, our trust in the one who comes walking on death, who has dominion over that, he saves us. And we're going to celebrate that this morning at this table. When you drink the cup, which represents his blood shed on the cross, when you eat the bread, which represents his body broken for you, celebrate the fact that you are saved and that you are in the safest place that you can be is in that boat with Jesus. It's the most dangerous, but it's the most safe. Team, come up and join me. Those that are serving communion, please join me now here beside. We have prayer partners that are going to stand at various places in the congregation here. Whatever God is asking you to do this morning, would you please respond to that? Maybe it's sitting in silence as the tray goes by you and you just let it pass because you don't understand, or you just sit quietly with these elements, these symbols in your hand, or you go pray with somebody, or you just quietly meditate and pray, or you sing at the top of your lungs in thanksgiving to what God has done. Whatever it is, it's here for you this morning. So I'm going to pray in a moment here, and I'm going to come down, and, and together we're going to serve you. So hang on to that cup hang on to the bread until we can all partake together I'll give instructions after we've all received and just reflect on the message this morning and what Jesus has done for you where is your walk with him this morning are you all in have you trusted him will you put your faith in him today because he wants to save you he wants to and he will let's pray God I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for what it means for me personally that in my fear and my failure, Lord, in my sin, you know what kind of week it's been for me, God. I can't do it. I'm a screw-up just like everybody else. So dependent on you. And I thank you that you are who you are and that we can walk with you, though being dangerous is the safest place we can be. I thank you and I praise you for your son, Jesus, who comes to us and saves us. Thank you for your bloodshed and your body broken. For we pray it in his name.